0: Well listen, start finding your way over to Ephesians 5. We're currently in the sermon series called Real Marriage. The first, series, uh, the first sermon in the series was talking about how it's vertical by design. Last week, Pastor John talked about roles of a wife. Well guess what, men, today's our sermon. Roles of a husband. And so, normally during these types of sermon series, it can get pretty hard, it can get pretty heavy. So, I wanted to start with a, just a, a little bit of humor. So, um, I wanted to share some funny marriage quotes that have come from husbands. You ready? <clears throat> uh, hey, Matt, uh, the secret, there's a secret to a joyful marriage. Unfortunately, it's still a secret. <laughs> Matt, I want you to know, my wife, She dresses to kill and cooks the same way. (laughs) I've learned the art of hand-holding in my marriage because when I let go, my wife goes shopping and spends my money. (laughs) Hey, Matt, I want you to know my marriage, it has always been a walk in the park, Jurassic Park. See, I love humor in especially heavy situations. You see, last week we discussed the roles of a wife. And I remember when we were sitting in the boardroom as pastors and and Kai was kind of drawing up the vision for this real marriage series. And, And so he finally goes and he asks, like, you know what, who wants to do the sermon on roles of a wife? A godly reaction in me would have been, Lord, here am I, send me. But I got to do a confession. Here was my true thought, and it was this. Matt, play dead. Play dead, and if you don't move, Kai can't see you. Play dead, he can't see you. And so in that moment, uh, he went to Pastor John, and I was so blessed by hearing that sermon. And so when I got roles of a husband, I'll be honest with you, I thought I dodged a bullet until I started doing sermon prep and diving into the word of God. And I'm here to start by saying this. This week has shown me how Far short I fall. And in that moment, you know what I have? I have two options. Be in awe of my discouragement and back off. Or be in awe of my God who is with me. See, we're, we're, I'm about to unpack a sermon that's essentially just a funeral service. We're about to see how a, a husband's calling is to die to himself to sacrifice, serve, and love another above himself. You see, growing up Christian, I have a, it, it was a blessing, and there's also some baggage that comes with it. There's two types of sermons as a male that were never safe in the church, Father's Day sermon and husband sermons. See, women, you have sermons on like Mother's Day, and there's flowers waiting for you outside, and you're wonderful, we're so thankful for you. Husband sermons or even Father's Day sermons kind of feel like a drive-by shooting of just how you're failing, And so what I want to do in this moment is I believe not through shame, guilt, or condemnation, but by unpacking the unique beauty of God and his design, I believe we as men are won over and come under that design. And I equally want to give just a little bit of an exhortation towards the women in this room. Um, This sermon is going to step on a a lot of toes, and maybe there's going to be some sensitive nerves that come up because it's really relevant for your marriage. I just want to say just very humbly and gently, um, I'm not looking for additional help by you nudging your husband. Um, I'm not looking for loud amens. uh, I'm not looking for mm mm-hmm. If... There's something in your marriage that what we're preaching in God's word is triggering. Here's my exhortation to you, ready? Take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer because maybe as we talk about the role of the husband, for you it might feel like the farthest thing from what you experience, I promise you. I've never met a husband that was vexed to the cross. I have never met a husband who was vexed to the cross. And so if something sensitive arises in you, this is just it, go to the Lord in prayer. I'm just asking you go to the Lord in prayer because we're going to be unpacking his word. I pray his spirit is going to be moving. The spirit doesn't need additional support and doesn't need additional help. So we're going to be in Ephesians 5. But before I do, before I jump in, before we run to his word, before we look to his design, I want to stop and humble ourselves as a congregation before the Lord. Pray with me. So, Father God, we just come before you in this moment. Holy Spirit, I am dead in the water apart from you in this moment. Holy Spirit, apart from, apart from your spirit, we're going to read, and as a male, we're going to just feel like we fall so short. But Lord, I thank you that you haven't just given us words on a page or blueprints. You have given us a spirit with, that is in us that desires to do this work. So would we, uh, as men, even in this moment, would we not run to our fears or our insecurities? Would we not run to our strength or our wisdom or our ability? Would we humble ourselves before you? Would we humble ourselves before your word, knowing that you give your spirit to your children when we humble ourselves before you? We love you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Ephesians 5. I'm going to read verses 22 through 33, and then we're going to jump in. So again, Ephesians five twenty two, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the church, even as, the, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, here's where we come in. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So here's point number one. Before we start running to the doing, before we start running into, here's the different aspects of the calling, I think it's important just to see point number one, and it's this. As husbands, you have headship. But it's headship that has headship. Look at Ephesians 5.23. You start to see here in this moment that we have been given headship. We have a leadership role in our marriages. But you've got to understand that it's equally like there's a way that um, somebody who's very selfish would read that headship and go, great, this marriage is going to serve me. I want you to know that's how insecure men view this verse. You see, when you pair it with 1 Corinthians eleven three, 3, it goes that the head of a wife is the husband, but then it talks about how the head of all men is Christ. It's important to see that, yes, we have been blessed with headship over our marriage, but it's important to also recognize you're not the CEO. You're not the shot caller. You have headship, but it's important to humble yourself with the reminder of something, and it's this. You yourself in your marriage have headship. You see, godly men will hear this verse, and instead of resting in their authority, they're going to be quick to run to the authority of God, because they are, too, under an authority. You see, to take the submission of a wife and to let it just rest on you and your desires and your wants, men, that's sin. I want you to even know, we're going to unpack a verse, and we're going to start to see how God the Father doesn't even do that. You see, God the Father, in Philippians 2, 1 through 11, it talks about how Christ willfully submits himself to the Father, but the Father equally has a response. The Father exalts the Son as the Son exalts the Father. If you want a visual representation of it, check out this graphic. This is what it looks like within the Trinity. I'm not even talking about marriage yet. We're gonna birth this model into our marriage. But you start to see this is what happens within the Trinity in Philippians chapter two. That as the son willingly submits to the father, the father's response to that submission is to now exalt the son in response. And this is the danger for us as husbands. We might actually place ourselves in a higher position than God the Father does. You ever thought about that? When you take your wife's submission to you and you let it terminate on you and your wants and your desires and you do nothing in response back to her, I want you to know you have in your marriage placed yourself higher than God the Father is willing to interact within the own trinity. You start to see though, don't you see this beautiful cycle that as one submits to the other, the other responds by exalting? It's this beautiful ebb and flow that exists within the Trinity. And birthed off of the Trinity, we can roll this over into our marriages. That as a wife would submit to us because we have headship. In that moment, the headship's response should be to now go to the wife and to exalt her, to come by, to serve, to die to self, to lift up the other. This is what you call spiritual leadership. It's very different than business leadership. Business leadership can often serve you to get your fourth leg house and the Ferrari. I want you to know spiritual leadership is a call to come and to die. The beauty of God's design is that when a a husband who has headship looks to his own headship, God, he looks to a God who's already demonstrated it. God just didn't give us these marching orders with no clarity. God has first demonstrated it to us as men. That's why, although we have headship, we got to run to that headship. Why? We don't know how to do this. But when we call out to God, we're calling out to a God who has already displayed this. It's crucial that we as husbands not rest in our headship in some selfish, self-serving way, but it's important for us as leaders of our marriages to rest in the leadership that is above us, to us to abide in Christ. The role of a husband being the head of a wife, in order to do this, it must come from a husband who is first experiencing the headship of Christ. Men, this is why we keep saying, get low and get vertical. Get low and get vertical. Why? Unless you are going vertical, unless you are pursuing Christ, you cannot in any way, shape, or form do what God has called you to do. God's not calling you to try harder. God's not calling you to just suck it up and fake it till you make it. God is calling you first to him, and as his spirit has first modeled it and his spirit is within you, then you will display it in your marriages. The first calling to a husband isn't to enjoy leadership over your wife. No, that's false. The first calling of a husband is to get low and pursue your God. And so if we acknowledge that we have headship, but in that moment, we must realize that we ourselves have headship, I now want to talk about what I call the hand of of headship, harder to say than you think. And so what does this look like played out? What does it look like to play out headship towards your wife? It's going to look very different than what the world would say. And by the way, it's going to look very different than how the world criticizes the church for what they think it looks like. You're going to see this in verses 25 through 31. So my first point under the hand of headship is this. You're called to love your wife. That would, It's a love leading to her sanctification. This is verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Don't you just love the hand of Christ in that verse? It is a good hand. It is a safe hand. You see, Christ is presenting the church to himself in splendor, without spot, or without wrinkle. Husbands, you ready? Our hand needs to reflect that same nature. You see, I think it's easy. This is what's easy in marriage is husbands, you ready? I'm saying this, I'm outing myself in front of everybody. It's easy to present your wife to yourself, to your needs, your plans, your worries, and your insecurities. Our calling as a husband isn't to present our, our wives to ourselves. It's to usher our wife closer and closer to her ultimate groom, which isn't you. It's Christ. And in order to do that, we need Christ. We're naturally selfish people. I love, my wife's name is Becky. My natural inclination in the flesh is to take Becky and to take that gift of her submission and in that moment to, to just... Gear it all and aim it towards me and whatever I want. But in that moment, I'm walking in the flesh of my marriage, and that's not a marriage that the God Spirit is going to honor. It's important that we take our wives and present them, not to us, not to our needs, not to our insecurities, but in that moment, to usher her closer and closer to the cross of Christ. And this is what's really important. This is it. That it's a love leading to sanctification. This is what's important. You ready, husbands? This is going to be freeing. You're not called to your wife's happiness. You're called to help usher her holiness. See, there's one phrase in the room as a counselor that gets dropped, and it just makes me so aggravated. Happy wife, happy life. It's garbage. Even with a good heart, it's garbage. You know why? Happiness is so fleeting. It's contingent upon performance. It's contingent upon the bank account. It's contingent upon how the kids are acting. And I have a five and one year old. That one's really rubbing against me right now. In this moment, you start to see that happiness is contingent upon seasons of life and circumstances. It's fleeting, it's a vapor. Do not ride that in your marriage. You're not called to your wife's happiness. You're called to help usher her to the cross that her God would grow her in sanctification and her holiness towards him. That's your calling. Stop trying to stoke the flames of her happiness. That's not your primary calling. But to come in, to encourage her, welcome her, love her, give her that time where she can go and pursue her God, that it's a love that equips her sanctification. That's one of our callings as a husband. That's a freeing calling. You see, as husbands, we love our wives like Christ loved the church, and it's a love that will lead to her sanctification. But equally, here's another type of love. It's a love leading to flourishing. Look at verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ did the church. You see, Ephesians 5 actually, it kind of um, keeps looking at the husband and kind of keeps mirroring, him. Mirroring Matt, you know how you love you? Great. I want you to actually mirror that towards, towards Becky, towards my wife. And so in this moment, it's using this nourishing and cherishing language. See, a, husband, a husband's calling in Christ's model is to leave a woman fulfilled, nourished, and cherished. This is not a woman who is going without. I've gotten a lot of paperwork for people signing up for counseling. I've never gotten paperwork from a wife going, I need biblical counseling. And I'm on the other end of the phone. Why? I'm too cherished and too nourished in my marriage. I'd actually gladly take that case because I think it'd be the easiest case in the world. Because in that moment, it's, it's that we would esteem her, we would handle her, we would cultivate her in her relationship with God in such a way that it's as though we are nourishing and cherishing our wives. It's one of our callings. But here's my question. I think there's multiple ways to nourish and cherish a wife. The calling for a husband to nourish and cherish his wife, I believe, goes on an emotional physical and spiritual level. For husbands, one of those threes... Like one of those threes, maybe it's more natural for you to like cherish her and love her in one avenue. Perhaps it's physically, perhaps it's emotionally and spiritually, but it's key that God has made your wife this, and what Adam used in Genesis too, this bone of my bone, this flesh of my flesh, this beautiful language, he has made her a, a, a spiritual and emotional and physical being. And in this moment, my question is this, how well do you serve on all three levels? You see, as husbands, we love our wives like Christ loved the church, and it's a love that would lead to her flourishing. And I think a lot of men are going to actually resonate with this next point. And I had to research it because I'm not handy. Here's the next one it's a love leading to a strong bond. Look at verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. So you start to see that as a man, as a husband enters a marriage, there's a stepping out of one family unit and there's a stepping into of another family unit. And in this moment, it's called often in Christian circles, the cleave and leave. I leave family A and I have now formulated family B. You know what's really cool? Man, I think this is gonna resonate with you. Do you know that the Bible was not written in English? So the actual word there used in the term like cleave to hold fast to his wife, it means cement you would cement yourself to your wife you see it's easy for us to want our wives to submit sorry to cement herself to us cement yourself to my plans cement yourself to my my worries cement yourself to me is what the flesh says but in the spiritual model it's this Are you willing to cement yourself to your wife? That's a pretty strong bond. And here's a good little audit, and it's this. Have you cemented yourself? Or are you still cemented to the thing that you were supposed to leave in that moment? Have you cemented yourself to your wife spiritually? Have you cemented yourself to your wife spiritually or or physically? See, there's a way that we want our wives to cement cement themselves to us, but the calling in that verse right there is this. Husbands, cement yourself to your wife. And so sometimes, often with husbands, the hardest way to cement ourselves is emotionally and spiritually. And I've been up here in Muskoka long enough, I'm gonna use this analogy. I've got a bone to pick with you guys. I came up here and I asked a lot of just one question multiple times and it instantly backfired. Turns out every guy up here and your mother is a contractor. <laughs> and so I'm going to push into something here and I want you to know I'm lacing all of this with grace, okay? Um, so many men have come up here and you make me look so unhandy. Like if you shake my hand after the service, I'd love to meet you. There's not a single callus on this hand. Um, and then some of you guys, like, I, I shake your hand, and there's sparks as I'm, like, shaking your hand. And then I come out of the handshake, and I'm just bleeding. And so, but I, uh, I come, and I'm like, what do you do for a living? And you're like, ah, I build homes. I'm like, that's, that's amazing. Um, and then I'm like, so where do you guys live? And you're like, I just finished building my home. And I'm like, hang on a second. What do you do during the day? Build a home. What do you do at night? build a home. Oh my goodness. You like, it's like housing inception. It's just like house A, house B. I'm building both houses. You know what? One of the things I greatly respect of the men up here, probably the last thing you want to do at the end of the day of building a house is to start building another house. One of the, I, I come up from the city. We're not handy. You guys are really like making me feel like I'm lacking in some areas. You as a demonstration for your love, for your wife and for your family, you've built the house that you live in. I love and respect that. But equally a thing I see up here is you have not invested into the emotional and spiritual tone of the home you've built. You've literally built the house your family lives in. That is one of the coolest things I've ever seen but you have not built into the emotional and spiritual tone of that home. And that is why there is a lot of lonely wives up here. And you see, um, for example, if you bring me to the job site, the only thing I've ever done in my life that's handy is when I came up here, I TapCon some stuff. So if you bring me to the job site, I'm tap conning everything, because it's the only thing I know. You're a roofer, I'm just gonna TapCon shingles. You're, you're, you know, you're a carpenter, I'm gonna be honest, I still don't know technically what a carpenter does, but whatever you're doing, I'm just gonna tap on it. Just That's all I'm gonna be able to do in that moment. Why? Because I'm showing up to something that I have a good heart, I just don't know what I'm doing. What I love about the guys up here, is, is, it's not that you don't love your wives. It's not that you don't want to build into the emotional and spiritual. It's just the practical building of the home is what comes to you so naturally, you beautifully display it. And then in the emotional and spiritual, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't know how to do that. I want to encourage you. There's never a time God calls you to do something that his spirit will not sustain He will never give you marching orders that he has not first done himself and with his spirit in you will display through your marriage. I love watching men build their homes for their wives, but my question is this. Have you built into the emotional and spiritual tone of your marriage as well? Wives need a whole lot more than a house. In fact, I think a lot of women would be more than joyous to downgrade if it meant a greater emotional and spiritual tone in your marriage. It's easy to cement yourself to your wife in the expression of building your home as a demonstration of love. My question is this are you willing to die to self to cement yourself emotionally and spiritually? You see, as husbands, we love our wives like Christ loved the church, and it's a love leading to a strong bond. But equally, the next point is this, it's a love showing the new self. You're gonna see this in verses 28 and 33. Anytime the Bible gets repetitive, it's always like a good point. You know like, whenever you repeat an order to your kids, it's like one of those like, listen up, listen up, this is gonna be important. Look at Ephesians five, look at verses 28. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself. See, this love is going to display how the gospel has transformed you. Before salvation, husbands, you could only love yourself. We were bent on our way. We were bent on our will. We were bent on our own desires. But Ephesians 5, two times, declares, Husband, love your wife like you love you. There was a time when we were unable to love someone like that. But when we had a new spirit given to us, when we gave our life to Christ, I want you to know that when Christ gives this, like when God gives this command in Ephesians 5, it's doable. The question is just how? See, this is why Ephesians 5, he keeps mirroring Christ in the church. Christ has already given himself up for the church. So now we can give ourselves up in our marriages. Christ has done this on the macro scale between himself and the church as a whole. My question is this. Why do you think his spirit is so incapable of doing it on the micro scale in your marriage? If he did it for the church as a whole and he displayed this self-sacrificial love and serving and he did it on the macro church level scale, how much more can he do this in your home? If he's already done it and his spirit is within you, what's the excuse? See, Ephesians 5 is essentially, it's me having a conversation with God and God's going, hey Matt, you know how you love you? Yeah. Love your wife like that. You see, I've never struggled loving me. I'm a big fan of me. And Ephesians goes, you know that prideful, selfish form of love? Murder it and display it to your wife. And I'll be honest, like, this is the this is the part where like I just I had to step away from sermon prep. And immediately, guys, I feel so inadequate. But it's in those moments of inadequacy. The Spirit will show up, and the Spirit will do through you what the Spirit is calling you to do. He desires to do this through you. Do you believe that, men? Do you believe the Spirit desires to do this through you? He's not calling you to have the most amazing, skilled hand. Thank the Lord. He's calling you to posture your heart before him. This is why we keep saying, get low, but I wanna encourage you as men, don't just stay there. Get low and get vertical. If you just stay low without getting vertical, you're defeated and discouraged. But if you get low and you go vertical, you're going to be equipped. Because he has called you to do it, but he desires to do it through you, and he's put his spirit in you. He's removed every barrier, the only barrier for husbands is us. As husbands, we love our wives like Christ loved the church, and it's a love leading to a demonstration of the new self. Here's a great question, husbands. Does your wife see the new self in your love, or does she see a lot of the old self? You see, we can see that in Ephesians 5, the, the outward expression of the calling of a husband, just those different forms of love, we see what the hand of a husband does, but here's where the encouragement enters. You can't do the hand of marriage without the heart of a husband, and this is why I've left the heart of a husband to the end. So what is the heart of a husband? It's found in verses 32 through 33. Go with me there. Don't listen to what I'm saying. Go, like Literally, Bible in front of you, go there, 32 to 33. This mystery is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here's not the hand of a husband. Here's the heartbeat of a husband that God desires. You see, Paul is making his closing argument here. It's twofold. He's making one, a vertical case. The role of a husband is to put on display before a wife and before an unbelieving world the beauty of a Savior that would give himself up for him, for us, with a love unlike any other. You, you want to see what the heart of a husband looks like? Check out this next slide. Here it is. This is what the love of a husband looks like. This love of a husband mirrors Christ's love. It's a sacrificial love, verse 25. It's a purifying love, 26 through 27. It's a caring love, 28 through 30. And it's an unbreakable love, verses 31. And this is what John MacArthur illustrated. You see, this is why when a husband is walking with Christ, his wife, his coworkers, his friends, and his family we'll see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we mirror that type of love in our marriage, that was first Christ's love long before it was your love towards your wife. Here's a great question, husbands. Perhaps your greatest evangelism is not standing on a box on a street corner shouting into a megaphone. Perhaps your ear-piercing, deafening evangelism would be done in the gentle love towards your wife. Perhaps your ear-piercing, deafening evangelism would be done in a gentle love towards your wife. So Paul's making a vertical case, but he's also making a horizontal case. The greatest emphasis for a husband to have in their marriage, other than Christ is their love of their spouse. You see, what's really important is here in this verse, he's talking about here, he goes, however, let each one of you, or in other translations, he goes, therefore. What's really important is he's listed, Paul's listed all these great things in Ephesians 5, but then he goes to the however, and what he's doing is he's placing a hyper-emphasis, kind of like, hey, Matt, if you didn't get anything else, here it is. It's kind of like when my wife the other day called me at the grocery store. She's like, Matt, do you need anything? I'm like, yeah, Um, deodorant, shreddies, um, Nutella, Gatorade, But Becky, Nutella. What was the emphasis on? Nutella. What Paul's doing right here when he goes, however, let each one of you, what he's essentially doing is this, walk in what I've commanded, but Matt, pay attention. Here's the sum of it, and it's this. Love your wife. Here's another great quote by John MacArthur that we're gonna put up on the sleeve. Watch this. God has ordained the husband to be the head over the wife, But the emphasis of the rest of the chapter is not the authority of the husband, but on his duty to submit to his wife through love for her. This should shoot fleshly leadership right in that moment. There's one verse that talks about a male's headship, and the rest of the verses are a calling for the male to die to self. Don't cling on to just one verse and just blind yourself to the rest. You're going to miss the power of the chapter completely. And so this is the hard thing is a lot of husbands and wives, I am so sorry that this has happened in your marriage. A lot of husbands will cling to, wives, submit in everything, and they stop the chapter there. I want you to know that's not godly leadership. And what they'll do is they'll cling onto one false verse and manipulate it into your marriage. Do you know that I've seen countless times as a counselor in the city, husbands cling to this verse, wives submit because I have headship, and they pair it with the Corinthian verse, I have authority over your body, therefore you have to sleep with me. I want you to know if your husband at any point has postured himself like this in your marriage, that is not Christ-like leadership. And you start to see that in the weight of of, of a male's grotesque, sinful manipulation, God's grace will enter because he's given you this avenue, the church that you can come to, that we will protect you. That we will, because they'll use a lot of these verses to like confuse a wife because it's kind of spiritual language is just completely perverted and in that moment God has given you so much grace and so much protection he has not called you to that kind of a marriage men do not just read 522 about your verse about submission you need to keep reading if that's what you've gotten out of the chapter brother you are deceived What you should see in this chapter is a giant call for you to die to self, to serve and love your wife above yourself. You see, when a husband reads this passage, his first and only lens must be his own headship. It must be his love for his God and his love for his wife. Our greatest fulfillment in the New Testament, the greatest life found, husbands, is in your death. Daily. And when a husband dies to himself, first before his God, and then his wife, watch the harmony and the power that would enter this type of marriage. And here's my final point, the harmony of headship. We're going to have to go back one chapter to Ephesians 4. I'm going to focus on verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But here it is. But be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When a husband humbles himself under the headship of Christ and is filled with the Spirit, not just sipping on the Spirit, he is filled with the Spirit, he can walk out this calling. Husbands, we can do this. We must first, though, be filled with the Spirit. You see, the Spirit gave you the command, but it's also the same Spirit that you're being filled with. Do you see that? The Lord gave a command, but equally as he gave that command, he's filling you up with the Spirit so that you can now execute that command. If we're quick to just run to the commands without being filled with the Spirit, we're going to fall short and we're going to give up. But as the Spirit is being filled in you, the Spirit begins to work through you. When we and husbands are being filled with the Spirit, we will have a vertical harmony which will lead to a horizontal harmony. We will have a harmony with our God that will lead to a harmony within our marriage. That's why we keep saying get low, get vertical. I'm not giving you six tips on how to make your wife happy. Step one, clean the floor. Step two, shovel the driveway. Step three, that's not the point of this sermon. The point of this sermon is husbands, get low and get vertical. See, this cannot be done if your flesh or your pride or your selfish ambition is in the way. Why? We need God to do this. But James 4, 6 is very clear. God opposes the proud. You posture yourself in your marriage with pride, the Lord is opposed to your spiritual leadership. You will not have his blessing. But James 4, 6 doesn't end there because it says that this can be done with God. Why? Why? James 4, 6, the second part of the verse goes, he gives grace to the humble. You know what I see in this room full of men? I see men who need a lot of grace right now. And the Lord is willing to give it. You know what you need to do? Humble yourself before your God. One of the greatest comforting verses for us as men is going to be Isaiah 66, 2. This is... The, Isaiah 66:2. It will be on the screen in a minute, but it goes. This is the one to whom I will look. This is what God is saying. This is the this is the man to whom I will look. This is the husband to whom I will look. It's this. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. I want you to know, prideful, self self sufficient men will never find comfort in this verse, but struggling lowly men who know their need of God will find great comfort in this verse. You want to see what the heart of a husband looks like that God desires? It will be on the screen. This is Isaiah 66, verse 2. He's looking for humility in you men. He's looking for a husband who will willfully place himself under God, under himself, He's looking for contriteness. I had to look what that meant a little while ago. Here it is. It's a husband whose pride and sin is broken by his awareness of guilt, but it leads to a running to his mercy and his grace. The Lord wants humility, and he wants broken men who run to him. And then finally, here's the third attribute of Isaiah 66:2, a trembling at his word. The heart heart that the Lord wants in a husband is a husband who places himself under the spirit and under the word of God and knows it's sufficient and knows that it's good. How much of that up on the screen is skill? It's not. It's a posture of heart. That's how the role of a husband is filled out. It's a posture of heart before our God. So here's my question. What are you posturing yourself before right now? Because the beauty of our covenant and our God when we got saved was we only just brought brokenness. One of my favorite quotes of salvation is, the only thing that I contributed to salvation that made it necessary was my own sin. That's the only thing I contributed to salvation was the sin that made it necessary. And so if we came into a relationship with God and and it was met with just brokenness but running to the throne room of grace, why can't we do that in our marriages, men? Why couldn't we have the spirit-filled, spirit-prompted boldness to say, I don't have it together. I'm not doing that great. I'm not leading. I'm not loving well. I want to take my wife's submission, and I just want to point it to me, but here's that day where I'm like, I'm done with that. I don't want that. It's crushing me. It's crushing my marriage. It's made us both miserable. If you Feel the spirit of God moving in you and showing you these things. If you feel like this sermon is stepping on your toes, brothers, it first stepped on mine. And I constantly throughout this sermon had to keep running to the throne of grace and saying, God, I need you. I need you. I can't do this. Not only can I not preach this without you, I can't do this in my own marriage without you. Why can't we be that bold as men? When the heart of a husband is given over to his God, his God equips his hand to work. The greatest thing... The greatest thing that you have in your marriage is not your skill, it's your posture of your heart, first before him and then before your wife. As the heart of a husband is vertically aligned, the hand of a husband is equipped. Husbands, we must get low and we must get vertical. And as the band plays, I just wanna ask you, like men, this is a great time just to examine our hearts. What, what is the Spirit of God showing you about your headship right now in your marriage? What, what is God showing you about your own pursuit of God in this moment? Maybe you've postured yourself in pride in your marriage and you've walked in a false authority. Don't stop there. Don't just stay in authenticity. Run to grace in that moment and confess it before your God, confess it before your wife, watch what will happen. Do you believe, husbands, that his spirit is for you when you posture yourself before him? Husbands, do you believe that your God wants to do this in your marriage? We're not called to, remember sermon one, we're not called to this Google search marriage. There's something so much more and there's something so much more beautiful. And so as you hear this sermon, it's a giant call to die to self before your God. Are you ready to die to self and if you're not it's important to remember not only you're not ready for marriage you're not ready to be a follower of christ because neither of the greatest commands have anything to do with you it has everything to do with your god and with others maybe you're here today and you've just become so discouraged that you just want to give up i want you to know my answer will always be the same let's run to that throne of grace together Let's, let's both get low and get vertical. Whether we posture postured ourselves in a ton of sin and pride in our marriage, or maybe we're even just trying to walk out God's design, my encouragement will always be the same. Husbands, get low, but don't just stay there. Get vertical. Pray with me. God, even in this text, we see your beauty we see your presence and we see your design, and we see how we cannot do it apart from you. Father God, this this series is heavy, but it's because we've been entrusted with something so good and so beautiful and so powerful. And so God, I pray for the husbands and for the marriages in this room now, spirit move. Spirit initiate, Spirit show, Spirit sustain. God, we need you to do this. Would you give us boldness to be broken, boldness to be humble, and boldness to just have a high view of your word. And so, Lord, I thank you that you have given us your spirit. We're not just given marching orders, but you are with us every step of the way. And all of this points to the beauty, not of a husband. All of this points not to the beauty of a wife. This all points to the beauty of who you are and what you have done. And so we end even just praising you, God. Thank you that you are our ultimate groom. Thank you that you have done this perfectly and you are willing to meet us here in this school gymnasium. We pray for these things in the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.